Hello, and thank you so much for joining us on Embracing Enough, the podcast brought to you by Enough Labs. I am here with Kelly Pope, a Nashville-born DC transplant, uh, here to talk to us about her journey with how she saw herself. And Kelly is going to share her story around what it took for her to fall in love with her skin and the battle it took to get there. Her message to young girls is, we're all beautiful from head to toe. Kelly, I'm so excited you're here. Hi, Dina. I'm excited as well. So why don't we get started? Hi, Kelly. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me, Dina. Of course. So I would love to get us started with um, just hearing a little bit about you. I mean, you are a dear friend, uh, a light in this sometimes dark world. I love that um, you're so open and I'm so honored that you want to share your story. So I'd love to hear, just share a little bit about who you are and where'd you grow up? What What was your family like? What What brings you here today? Um, so first, I just so appreciate you reaching out and creating this platform for these types of discussions to happen. But um, just a little bit about me for your audience. My name is Kelly Pope. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I moved to the DMV area late 2018, so coming up on two years. Um, I grew up in a you know middle class um, suburban household. Um, I have one brother, a mom and dad, <laughs> and we're pretty close. Um, I think what's unique about my experience when I'm growing up, I am um, on the deeper tone as far as my complexion and my household is light um, of the lighter complexion. So growing up, I always knew I would call myself the quote unquote black sheep, like literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just based on uh, face value. But I also knew that that made me unique unique and different but I wasn't um I think at a young age I just wasn't able to embrace that and understand that but um so to those who might be listening and who may have never heard the word colorism before why don't you tell us what colorism is so I would say my definition of colorism would be discrimination within your own race And that could look like, I know um, most people just consider complexion, but I would also consider hair types. Mm. So, um, because I think when you're of a deeper tone, if you have a different texture of hair, you can also be discriminated against within your own race as well. But just to, you know, stay on the subject of like complexion, um, colorism is definitely discrimination between your own race, Mm -hmm. within your race. And... For two things come up for me. How do you think it's perpetuated and why do you think it's perpetuated? So I think it's been a constant issue that um, I will speak for the, I'm black, so I'll speak for the black community. I won't be a spokesperson for the black community, sure. correct that. But um, based on my experience, I, I, I believe it's something that we do not discuss as openly because it does trigger um, just based on our heritage, our culture, our, you know, um, slavery, all of those are tied together. But 
I think how it's um, actually perpetuated now is more marketing. I think um, you can make money off of, or there there's a shift in how colorism is marketed. It's either, okay, let's include so many shades that we can increase our, you know, profits and value of our product, or let's um, cater towards certain shades because we deem them beautiful. We still have those, um, those ideas of what beauty looks like. And those people, quote unquote, may um, look better or, you know, be more marketable to the audience that we're trying to attract. So I think it, to me, it's more money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I, I'm curious, you know, I, I talked to you about this segment being the segment that we're talking about issues facing young girls. And because, um, you know, this topic has come up in, in our own conversations, and I thought it was so important to have you on the podcast. And again, so grateful. Um, I'd love to hear about what your journey with this was as a young girl. And, and you know, curious what what you recall as being that those early days of when you may have experienced feeling some degree of self-consciousness, if any, that mm-hmm. you might want to share. Yeah. Um, so I would say vividly, I remember being um, either five or six and already aware of the differences in my household. Um, you know, in as a child, I think you, at least for me, more so thinking black and white. <laughs> and um, you're just at that age, you're learning your colors, you're learning, you know, all basic information at that point. But um, I remember going to school in kindergarten and um, there was this um, Caucasian boy in my class and my mom picked me up from school and he said, oh, your mom's white. And I was like, um, no, she's not. <laughs> but to, as far as, you know, the physical likeness of my mom, she is very um, fair skinned. And my, um, my brother and my father are lighter than me as well. So I could understand even as a child that there is a difference. And, and that brought in self, um, that made me more self-conscious because it, I would say my household was very supportive of me um, as far as um, pouring into me, encouraging me, making sure I knew I was beautiful, making sure that um, my complexion was adored and um, just bringing that light to the situation because they, they were aware as well. But I think that one incident started the trajectory of me uh, being aware of colorism and being aware of what that difference looks like to the outside world as well, not just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, yeah. and that was hard. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, my mom tried so hard to, cause she was right there. So it was nothing that she could stop. You know, you we think of our children as um, beings that we can protect at all times and you can't protect words. Like you can, you can run in front of a building, you can, you know, I mean, run in front of a car and you can do all these things to save your kids. But when words are so powerful and can leave so many scars Absolutely. and she was very uh, pivotal in that point to, to try to really instill that I was, um, take, I was taken care of in that moment, but it still stunk. I mean, in that moment, it's, it's so crazy. And, and, you know, you're how old today? 
I'm 30. 30, okay. So you know, think about it. 25 years ago, can you still feel those feelings, how you felt in that moment, in that day? Absolutely. So what do you think happened in that moment? Like, what was, what do you think the actual thing was that sparked those feelings? Did, was there, did he take away this like sense of, I don't know, what did it bring to to the surface something about being different within your family? I mean, I'm curious to know what what came up for you that you remember at five. I believe if I could um, analyze what I was feeling at mm-hmm. five years old, I would say he robbed me of my self identity mm. because telling me that I don't look like my mom when I was already aware of that, but it didn't bother me. But oh, he brought a level of awareness that maybe um, I wasn't really their child. Like I went, <laughs> I was probably a whole range of a whole roller coaster. I, I think I was pretty analytical as a kid, anyway. But I was like, oh, I'm not their kid. Now this makes sense. You know, it's not just me seeing it. It's like everyone's lighter than me. Everyone, you know, I I already felt like a, the different child. So maybe this wasn't my family. Maybe there needed some uh, additional conversation for a long time. Well, after that, what um, I would say the impact was I didn't play with black dolls. Wow. And even in, I grew up in the 90s, so there was still um, some work that needed to be done in the area as far as representation and um, inclusion mm-hmm. and diversity. You know, they, I think there was at one point I received a, um, it was like a pageant doll or something that, you know, those dolls that you can't even open. Right. <laughs> that you right. Christmas. Right. <laughs> and that was my first experience of really loving a toy that looked like me. And that took a while. But for the most part, my mom, was, she would buy me dolls. I wouldn't play with them unless they were Barbie and, you know, Ken. So it, 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 it was a lasting impression wow. for sure. Wow. I mean, I think this issue is so important to be talked about. And I think, at least I don't think it's discussed enough, personally. Um, I'm curious, you talked about, you know, the dolls and and maybe, you know, wanting, feeling some subconscious sort of, you know, uh, draw or affinity to, to the Barbie and Ken dolls or something. You know, who do you think, when you think back, like, who who were you looking up to? Who did you... Who were figures that you looked to that you saw as beautiful? I mean, you could go back or, you know, as, as, as sort of like in your later teenage years, even like as a young, as a young girl, be curious to know who were your, who were your idols? So I actually looked up to, um, I, I was a ballet dancer Hmm. from, yeah, from four to like 20 Ish. Oh my god, I so, had no idea. So, Come through. So, um, I was very intrigued by, luckily I had a lot of influence with black coaches and um, black instructors, so I looked up to like um, more, you know, Alvin Ailey's dance theater, and I had more exposure to, you know, black arts, mm-hmm. so um, that was very helpful, and um what really stuck out to me but as far as like media movies i was into um i I don't think there was anyone in particular that 
stuck out like, oh, this is a role model. But I was very interested in watching movies that had significant black roles. Like I, one of my favorite movies to this day is uh, Sister Act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, my I too. Love Goldberg. I love uh, Lauren Hill. So oh, that scene was with her <laughs> love singing. Love Lauren Hill. Love it. And and I was um, even when so taking it back to Destiny's Child. I, I'm a I'm a Beyonce fan. I'm a part of the Beehive as well. Tried and, and true. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that she had you know that the structure of their group was. For the most part, different complexions, and for the darker-skinned woman in the group to be named Kelly at that, I was like, "Oh yay!" Right, <laughs> so right. I had, I definitely had the, um, you know, you had, you know, bits and pieces of things you could resort to that makes you feel like okay, um, but I think where there was lacking, it was in the reality. Like, of course, I'm watching these movies. I'm listening to this music. And I'm, you know, even I'm going to the art shows and the dance, you know, performances and all that. But what wouldn't change was the reality. And the reality was um, I had to join a black studio. You know, the reality was, and I'm a, um, I would say my body is what you would consider, you know, what people view black women's bodies to be, you know, in different areas so that was a struggle for me as well we our dance um, academy would train at what is called Nashville ballet and i remember vividly too and i was probably 10 years old that um i had an instructor who for those that are not aware who have never had uh, training ballet training you stand at the bar and you have your posture is straight and uh, a-lined right so I had an instructor push my derriere in. Are you kidding me? I had to tell him, I said, it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sticking it out. It's just, it's just there, you know? And that wasn't an, that wasn't a, um, that wasn't done to any of his <laughs> students, but for all of, you know, everyone that was in my academy, Everyone got that same gesture. So it was just like not only experiencing that, it was like a fantasy, I would say, to to answer your question. It was a fantasy to have these role models because in your real life, they're scarce. (laughs) And and there's there's something that happens, I would imagine, of internalizing certain feelings. Like sort of you you can point to the icons, the role models. Yes, they exist. But how you internalize those feelings is obviously a, 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 a greater challenge, right? Right. And what do you think influenced that process of internalizing those feelings? What, do you, what can you think, what can you point to today that made that leap so difficult to really embrace what, that, what you saw reflected in maybe pop culture or mass media? Um, I would say it's two sides of that. So it's, it is what you view as far as like, you know, representation on TV and music. And let's be honest, you know, you grew up in the nineties as well. You know that, um, or there is a awareness about who, even in videos, you could see a great distinction of who, who, which, 
which girls were in front, right. which girls got leading roles, you know, even if they're, um, it, it didn't matter really what the role was. You just, it, if they had a leading role, it, it typically is a certain type of woman. And I think when you grow up seeing that so often, and then you have rare occasions where you have like, um, you know, a Cosby show where you have Rudy who's so cute and all that. And you can, you know, you can, um, you can't really, you don't have enough examples to really um, impact someone, right. unfortunately. Right. Were they there? Yes. But it wasn't enough to actually say, you know, I feel so uplifted and beautiful because I keep seeing people like me. Right. It's really like, I don't see, I see maybe one person like me. And maybe, um, and then I don't, based on the role that they're in, they're not attractive. Because <laughs> then you have that dynamic too. You have the um, the women that are, they have of certain complexions that are deemed beautiful. The guys are always chasing them. And, you know, they're so, um, you know, they get all this screen time. And then you get other complexions that, you know, they don't look like their hair is done. You know, they don't look like they're as beautiful and well-kept and all this. So it makes you feel like whatever you identify as, whatever you see yourself, that's what you are. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, we have so much to dig into. Let's take a break here, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. So Kelly, I know that something that doesn't get talked about a lot is the prevalence of skin bleaching products. I mean, when we talk about colorism, it's sort of the taboo feature, sort of the underbelly that no one really wants to bring up in conversation. And, you know, I've talked to you about this, that while not experiencing colorism, directly, I've actually seen it play out in my career in international mm -hmm. development, actually um, across the world. I actually worked in a university at the University of Djibouti. And I recall having students who used to tell me that they have friends and family who felt so uncomfortable about their skin that they would use these dangerous, toxic chemicals to bleach their skin. And I'm just wondering, do you think that this is as pervasive in the U.S. as it tends to be across the world? Absolutely. Um, from my own experience, I, I can attest to using skin bleaching products. Um, I recall doing this, I want to say between in adolescence, you know, probably teenager years, but um, it became more of a obsession, I think, of just being, seeing that you look different, seeing that you're, um, you know, that's when guys and girls are interacting at different levels and you're starting to, your body is starting to change and, you know, all these different things are going on with you mentally and physically. And my mom actually, because um, I was sneaking to do it, I was, um, which makes it even worse, right? Because right. it's a disconnect between your parents and um, with, within yourself too. But my mom actually caught me using 
the skin products because one day before she caught me, she said, you just look so, you look lighter. Like, why do you look so much lighter? And, I was, you know, I played it off. I don't stop going outside so much or, you know, something. <laughs> and she caught me using it. Um, and for me, it was a combination. It was my, um, the steroid cream that I was using um, that was uh, prescribed to me because of eczema. And we'll probably discuss that a little bit later in the podcast about my journey with that. But also, um, this is a um, probably a familiar for people in the black culture. Cocoa butter is supposed to be a, a lightning agent and different products like that. And I was using just a combination to try to get the best tone that I could uh, get away with, to be honest with you. And when she caught me, she threw them away. And uh, this just speaks to my support system. But she threw my products away and just really hugged me and, you know, embraced me. And um, that's when she finally understood how um, detrimental my feelings were about my skin and my uh, how it was affecting me mentally. Mm. Because this was, you know, this was, like I said, teenage years going into high school where all insecurities start to evolve and come up for you. But um, I'm still battling. I was still battling with an uh, insecurity from when I was young, very young. So it was, um, I think it's prevalent. I think, and um, we spoke about branding and marketing as well. I think there's so many products out there that say brightening, you know, you know you you know what that really translates to so Absolutely. i think it's a constant um uh push to for um brands and companies to create certain people and create a mindset that that person is beautiful because you're selling an image right there is this right. expectation or this belief system that someone who's fairer skinned is going to sell a product i've seen it across the world where i've traveled and you know, even in those cases where I was telling you about my students in Djibouti, I mean, it was, it's the constant messages that are reinforced. But I got to ask you, Kelly, how'd you get these products in your house when you were a teenager? I mean, there had to be obviously some kind of shame, but how did you get these products behind your mom's back? Yeah, I mean, so I think kids are creative. Sure, right? Forget that Mm -hmm. um, as we evolve, we become these intelligent beings. It doesn't just pop up. So you... As children, um, I think children should get more credit. Right. They're um, they're creative. They're intelligent. They're resourceful. Um, you know, they're finessers. <laughs> like they can figure it out. So, I, like any other child, I would go to um, the hair store. They're they're in the hair store. They're in Walgreens. Like these products are available. They're on shelves. They're you know you can get them on Amazon nowadays. But um, you know they're 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 very present and you don't need an id to get a a toxic medication (laughs) at least back then you did now you know i know there are more restrictions on certain things Mm -hmm. now but you just because it it, it's um and you don't need parental supervision to buy those products you don't need any type of you know influence or interaction with the adult to buy those products so it's easy to be honest with you yeah Well, I want to thank you for sharing that because I'm sure that there are people who listening, who are listening that appreciate your strength and your courage to share. 
Thank you. <laughs>
and to be grateful that it, it made me more grateful to, to love my skin at that point because I couldn't recognize myself. And when I finally got through it, I n- never looked at myself the same. And it shouldn't take a situation like that for girls to truly love themselves. And I don't, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy to go through that experience. Um, and it's a lot more to it. And I know, um, for, you know, there's information out there about topical steroid withdrawal. So I don't want to, you know, go down a rabbit hole with that. Sure. But it's, it was a, a journey for me to love me, mm. love my skin, love, you know, the way, the, the way God made me. And, and I don't want to offend anyone for saying God. So, um, that's just my personal belief, but I, I really want people to know that story because it's one of the main reasons why I love my, love my skin now. <laughs> one, because I felt like, Oh, I'm never going to get my real skin back. <laughs> but after you go for so long, you're like, if this is my new normal, I have to love it. I have to embrace it. But luckily, um, God had another plan for me and I fully recovered from it. And, you know, skin glowing, flowing, all of that good stuff. <laughs> but um, for, but that amount of joy, I feel I would love, I wish I felt that as a kid because I would have been so confident in everything I've done. And I was an athlete. So there were so many things I, and there were so many things I was fearful of doing because of my condition, because I would be, you know, looked at differently because I was, you know, dealing with insecurities with my skin complexion anyway just so much fear-based, you know, energy that prevented me from probably excelling in things that I was actually interested in. So I would, um, that would be my message to a lot of your, you know, most of your audience as well as young girls and young, you know, um, they are dealing with one, skin conditions, but also with complexion issues. You just have to love yourself. You know, I couldn't agree with that more. And you know, when I first saw you, I was so struck by, I was like, this girl has the most beautiful skin. She glows. Like, there's just, like I said, I mean, I know it's cheesy, but there's just like a light beaming from you. And when I heard your story, I told you I was I was so moved by it because it's something, I know, not to say that we are all dealing with colorism, but there's just something so powerful around the metaphor of really loving the skin that you're in. And I, I can't even imagine how that felt growing up and then going through such a physically um, draining experience, something that was so out of your control for a certain amount of time that we talked about it, you know, really, really needing to go inward. Yeah. Right? It's a process. Yeah. I mean, if you... If you think back to that time that you were going through the, um, what is it again? Top- topical steroid Thank withdrawal. Thank you, topical <laughs> steroid withdrawal. Would you mind talking about, at that point, what you saw in yourself when you looked in the mirror and what that conversation looks like today? Um, so I'll be transparent. Um, I would say for the first, I would even say eight months, maybe a year. I did not look in the mirror. Wow. I could not look in the mirror. I tried to document my, you know, my journey and it became so, um, draining and so disappointing. Mm -hmm. 
because it, it with with the condition there there's so many ups and downs but there's way more downs if yeah. I'm being honest yeah and I got to the point where I couldn't physically look at myself and one day um for for me the process was really um finding affirmations manifesting what I really wanted um I also got baptized during this time um, while I was going through the condition as well. Um, so there was a lot of work. There was a lot of inner work because the outer work wasn't shown. There was no physical um, um, evidence that I was getting healed. And I think what we expect in most of our, you know, most situations is that, oh, you put in the work, it will, it will work itself out. You put in the, um, you do the, you know, you do the work, it will work out, but you don't see it. Like right. you're, it's, it's just a, it was a never ending race for me. So I finally said, you know what, if this never changes, I still have to live. I still have to embrace the process. I still have to embrace my journey. I still have to love me because if I don't love me through this, I can't love me at the end of it. And I, I just, I, I had, I thought I was a fighter. <laughs> I, I knew I was strong. I knew it was within me. But what strong people don't understand is that to be strong, you have to use your strength. So yep. there comes a time and a place where you have to actually utilize that strength that you claim you have. And I didn't know what that looked like until that experience. Mm. To to look at your to not be able to look at yourself, and then from that develop the tenacity to say, you know what, I'm gonna look at you even though I'm not seeing what I really want to see until I see what I want to see. That is so powerful. I mean, you are the physical representation of healing from within and your story speaks volumes. I mean, and that the, the mental strength, I mean, that, that, that takes the commitment to seeing yourself through it. You have to, you have no one else, but to rely on yourself to get you through it. And I will speak briefly to that too, because Mm -hmm. I think, what um and even to tie to everything we're discussing today right i had support right and i think um it would have looked so much differently (laughs) right and i didn't mean to suggest that you were doing it on your own because of course like but yeah right no and i and i and i want to clear that up because i think um it sounds good right it sounds good to say oh i accomplished this goal and all this i there were days I couldn't get up and I don't mean mentally drained, just depressed, all this. I'm saying my wounds were bleeding. My, I remember, uh, I remember one day my niece, I love skating, <laughs> love roller skating. Love um, my niece wanted to go and I was like, no, I'm not going. I look a mess. You know, I, I don't feel up to it. She went downstairs, cried to my brother and he came up and he said, you get up. You love this. You love skating. You never turn down skating. And she's crying. And I felt like I never felt the pressure to get it done outside of me wanting to get it done. I was like, I have to do this for other people. I have I have a life to live. And I and I don't disappoint my nieces. That's just one thing. I don't disappoint them at all. But without that push he's he's like i will bandage you up i will we'll put band-aids all over your body we'll do whatever we have to do to get you out this house so you can do it and it was the worst and best day of my life 
because I could not I could not do what I used to. Like I was I was amazed that I even got out there. Right. But I was that was the day I said, you know what? I'm gonna look in the mirror every day and say, you know, say what I need to say. Such a I can't, point. I'm gonna get up. Right. Oof. It's so it's your story just brings such life to to what I can imagine might be such an abstract concept to people. And I just think hearing your story sends it, it, it's inspiring. I mean, this, you know, I talk about this podcast being, you know, from the bravest moments to the ones that scare us. And I feel like we've gone through the full range of that. Right. right? Um, I, I want to, you know, I, I do want to take a, take a moment to just ask you, just when you think about growing up and even today, when we think of colorism, would you say from your perspective that boys and girls, men and women are impacted similarly or differently when it comes to this? I would say differently. Okay. Um, I think, I think to a certain level, um, well, I'll say for, cause my brother is of a lighter complexion. Um, I think men, I think it's a two dynamics. <laughs> I think how men treat, how women treat men and how men treat men as far as colorism is different. Okay. I think depending on the woman, like, you know, we, we, we claim it's preferences, but it really could be glorified colorism if we're being, you know, depending on how you are and how you look at it. Right. But, you know, there's a preference to have, you know, you're thinking about kids. So depending on how the woman is, is how she, what she gravitates towards based on what she wants her kids to look like. And I don't want to assume or imply or anything. Um, that's just my opinion that the woman will, um, that preference, quote unquote, um, will be highlighted more based on who she is and what she wants as far as her kids. Now, with men, I think they have a separate colorism issue within men because I think not only is it, um, you know, there's distinct um, discrimination amongst them, but it's also discrimination against toughness. Like, how masculine are you based on your, your complexion? Mm. You know, I've always... Um, <laughs> grown up here you know my brother was very athletic and very um he was actually a very um large guy so he never had to like fight or do all of that but um he would always make um make light of but still mention that darker skin complexion guys would you know um try to imply he's not tough because he's lighter complexion mm -hmm. So I think that's a whole different dynamic, mm. but I do think it's still something that's not discussed. Right. And that, but I, I think the normal dynamic that we discuss as far as um, lighter complexions are more attractive and darker complexions, you know, are not, I think that still plays a very um, pivotal part in, in both dynamics, but in men and women. Both men and women. Right. Right. Well, this has been one of the most fascinating conversations. I'm so, so glad we could share it with, with everyone out there listening. 
And yes. <laughs> I, I would I would love to just end on two questions. Okay. One is what would you say to young girls today on how to learn or embrace loving and appreciating your skin, your features? What would you what would you say to young girls today about that based off of what you've been through? What you've I would first say um Practice affirmations early. They show up in life. Mm. <laughs> they have been um, the foundation of me getting um, getting back to me. What's your favorite I affirmation? Think, I think starting out with saying, I think every girl should start off saying, I'm different mm. and that's okay. Love that. And I love me anyway. Mm. And whatever affirmation you need after that, you could put in, but I think as women nowadays, everybody wants to look the same. Everybody wants the same features. Everyone wants to be um, be represented in a certain light, and we are all different. We do we we need to embrace our differences, and they can all be beautiful. Mm. Oh, Kelly. Well, I'm going to spring one last question on you. <laughs> the name of the podcast is Embracing Enough. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear from you as Kelly Pope. What do you think embracing enough means to you? I think first establishing that enough is you. Mm-hmm. So it make once you establish that you are enough, you should be able to embrace that. Thank you, Kelly, so much. That was so beautiful. I'm so glad you came. This is so great. We'll continue this conversation, obviously. Um, And I can't wait to have you back. Yes. Can't wait to come back. It's been great. Thanks, Dina. Thank you. Can I just say how much I enjoyed that conversation? And I learned so much hearing Kelly's story. You know, I'm not naive to the historical legacy of why colorism exists, but I truly feel that one of the great oversights of our modern generation is that we continue to turn a blind eye to it. It's high time we change this. Now I know it's small in terms of the big picture issues that colorism influences, but I feel like having more conversations like this and openly talking about the toll it has on mental health is so important. Continuing to have conversations like this can expose long-held beliefs and perceptions held by individuals, families, and communities more broadly. One thing is for sure, if we ultimately want colorism to be a thing of the past, we have got to unite and work together. I'm so grateful in the way that Kelly opened up to us. She was so honest with her journey and vulnerable with what she shared. I'm confident that her story is going to resonate with many of you listening. And I'm certain some of you may have learned something because you may have never actually had a frank conversation with someone who has experienced colorism. Either way, I'd be curious to learn what may have come up for you. 
Our conversation with Kelly was the second in our four-episode series on issues facing adolescent girls. If you have follow-up questions for anything you may have heard on this episode, be sure to reach out. You can reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook by searching for Enough Labs, and we'll be sure to make sure we feature it in our upcoming Ask Me Anything episode that will air after our four-episode segment. Listen, (laughs) we want to hear from you. So I want to close this episode out with a poem from Cleo Wade called A Love Note to My Body, and read it specifically for all the adolescent girls who may be listening, to all the women encouraging beautiful girls to love the skin they are in, and to women themselves. First of all, I want to say thank you for the heart you kept beating even when it was broken, for every answer you gave me in my gut, for loving me back even when I didn't know how to love you, for every time you recovered when I pushed you past our limits, for today, for waking up. Through Kelly's story of triumph and acceptance, and to all the girls out there, continue to love the skin you are in because it is so incredibly enough. Stay tuned for next week's episode when we come together and talk to two DC-based educators who share their insight on the resiliency of young girls today and we explore their very own journeys to embracing enough. Until next week, take care. Thank you.